Will you rise to the invitation of my guest today? Will you be a part of creating an atmosphere of solution and begin to be the problem solvers together from a space of happiness, enthusiasm and equilibrium? That together we can produce new insights and inspiration that can move us to a new place. Welcome to Love featuring your host, Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Jane Donovan, and it's my pleasure today to be joined by Ben Lee, musician, husband, father, and free thinker. He's passionate about the awakening of consciousness and committed to being there for people. A deep thinker with a rich inner life and a boldness at being the best version of himself, both with his art and in his everyday life. And his goal is to produce the best music of his career in his 80s. He's halfway there. Ben's lyrics and side projects appear to have a common theme of wanting to help people achieve awareness. I started asking Ben how he became consciously aware. Well, an important distinction to make is I think we are collectively asleep and perhaps what you're calling awareness to me is just awareness of the nature of the sleep. I I do not think I am particularly aware or awakened or liberated, uh, but I am passionately engaged with the struggle to awaken my own consciousness. Uh, As far as why, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I've always had like a philosophical inclination. My parents were involved in politics and there was a lot of moral questioning that would occur around our dinner table. And I found it very exciting. And the, the, the question of what is correct? What is right? What's the right way to live? What's the right way to treat people? These were important questions in our family. Um, now, when we look at the world now, it's obvious to me that we could not have, the world would not be in the shape it's in were we awakened. So by process of elimination, we can realize we must be unconscious. So I'm very much engaged in my own personal journey to find the parts of my mind that are controlled or limited uh, or sort of have been brainwashed or are, um, you know, are constrained and to try and do what I can to sort of open them up. And then I think as an artist, it's the natural thing that you kind of live something publicly for your audience to also go through. And I see it as like my audience are like, brothers and sisters, you know, they're not, it's not like I'm some, on some pedestal and I understand and they do. I think we're, we're sharing information, we're sharing processes and we're sharing tips and challenges and it's a beautiful thing to share. It's so empowering when we hear of struggle, of people being able to observe their struggle and have the boldness to be able to go into that heart space of where does this come from? Do I want to continue to be this way? What is it I can do to change that? And so, so often through your lyrics, 
I think that people would be resonating with with whatever struggles or awareness you've had on any given particular topic. Has there been a big aha moment for you in a particular area that you really had struggled with in the past and you managed to move through it? Yeah, I think in relationship to money and business over the years, it's been a very interesting journey because I've obviously really only ever had one profession. Um, I started when I was so young. But I think what's been interesting about my particular profession, this is probably true for everybody, but I've experienced in my life, is that <clears throat> because I'm essentially freelance, you know, there's really no guarantee of income. Yet the more generously and passionately I apply myself, the more the phone seems to ring and people offer me money to do things. So it's a very strange type of surrender where we sort of have to be relatively unguarded and continue to add value to the world and be generous and give and trust that there'll be some type of reciprocal experience financially just by, I guess, you know, I think of it on very simple terms. It's like, are you a person that people want to be around? Generally, if you're a person that adds very good energy and enthusiasm or something, people will come to you and say, hey, collaborate with me. It's sort of simple in a lot of ways. It can be a long time. (laughs) I think it takes a lot of us a long time to realize that whatever energy it is we put out is exactly what we're going to get back at us, which is why I feel it's so important for people to really look at their triggers and what their fears are and when when their behavior is not in alignment with a heart-centered divinity of connection and start to clear those so that they can be giving off a high vibration that allows them to match and bring in the money and bring in whatever it is, opportunities that are needed. But I also feel that what you've just said is also around authenticity and that the challenge is for people to start stepping into their authentic being of who they are. Was that something for you that was a challenge, particularly in the celebrity field, to make yourself so vulnerable to this is who I am authentically? Well, it's been gradual because on one hand, there were certain aspects of who I am that I was very authentic with from the beginning. For instance, my passion, my romantic inclinations, my uh, yearnings. I always felt let me just put that out there. But there were certain things to do with the way I thought people were meant to do their careers that I think I was quite conformist in a sense. And it's taken me many years, I'm sure will continue to, to really have courage and follow my inner guidance. You know, it's something I increasingly have tried to do. Of course it excited me to hear Ben use the words listening to your inner guidance as we talk about that all the time on The Love Life Show. But I wanted to know if he had any particular tools that he used that helped him to really listen to the quiet whisper from the heart. Daring. You know, there are some lessons about the heart that we only learn by making mistakes with. Um, We misjudge which is the heart and which is the ego or which is fear. And in some ways, the quicker you get through your mistakes, the quicker you can get down to business. So I think one of the biggest dangers when we talk about discernment with these inner voices is that there's a danger of inertia. 
a danger of not acting and becoming passive and being scared. And for me, courage and daring have been vital. For instance, like wanting to be famous was not a particularly noble goal, but I went for it. I wanted it. I wanted to achieve it. I did it. I got out of the way. I tasted it. And now moving on to better things. Had I never pursued it, I may have always had that question. Wow, what if I'd have had a hit song? What if I'd have, you know, whereas now I can speak with authority about that experience because I've had that experience. So this isn't to say everyone should just go and do every stupid thing that comes into their minds, but there's something about having the daring to pursue something when you don't know exactly if it's right or wrong. You try your best, you make the best judgment. And you're willing to suffer the consequences of the mistake. Because that's one of the things too. No one wants to suffer consequences so they don't take an action. Whereas the reality is every action is going to have karma to it and good and bad. Including doing nothing. You know, you do nothing, there are consequences for that as well. Totally. So we have to be brave with that and go, I can handle the karma I create. You know, like, and and if the universe decrees that there was damage in this, I'll take that. You know, I'll take what has to be processed after and I'll rectify it and I'll apologize. Um, So I think daring and courage are really important tools. Were you daring from a very early age or were you cautious and you started to experiment with being daring and you started to gather evidence that it's okay, you know, the world's not going to end? I think I was always daring. Um, I remember when I was quite young, a girl, I think I was maybe nine or something, a girl wrote a letter to me saying she wanted to kiss me. <laughs> and we were at a party and I said, do you want to go for a walk? And I took her somewhere and I just put my hand, stood across from her like two feet away and I put my hand on her shoulder. And she said, uh, I'm not really ready to do that. I said, okay. And she went back to the party. And she was, and I don't know, this story just jumps into my mind because it was very embarrassing actually after. But here were two different approaches, you know. Uh, I was, I didn't think I was ready either. But I was, there was an aspect that was stepping into opportunity. <laughs> I love so, that. Ben, you like, would not know, I'm a matchmaker as well. Okay. And, and okay. I love anything to do with love. I'm obsessed yeah. with. So that story is so beautiful. You know one thing just I just want to add? Yeah. There's an interesting, I think, uh, maybe a Buddhist expression where they say, Sometimes the criminal is more suited to the spiritual path than the saint because he has the courage to do the crime. What I see in myself was I was mischievous and I was a little naughty, but quite diplomatic, so I kept it quite hidden. But I had the courage to do the crime. And from there, anything's possible. Ben clearly is capable of doing the crime because he has achieved so much. However, I'd never heard that expression before, that the criminal is well-suited to spirituality because they're prepared to do the crime. And it had me pondering that with a focus on self-love, self-acceptance, self-respect, self-worth, as we really gain great self-love, it's very easy to move into a complacent life. And so I was curious to ask Ben about his biggest jump. I suppose there were things like 
you know, when I was about maybe five years ago or something, I'd had a spiritual teacher for a number of years, and it was very comfortable mm -hmm. uh, in that I'd learned this path and I'd brought many people to it and I, I understood the ins and the outs of it and it was very protected and cozy. And I came to recognize an innate flaw within it in that what it promised, it would never be able to deliver. And Freedom? Yeah, yeah. Freedom. freedom and, and that it was built in. It's almost like um, a glass ceiling. Is it a glass ceiling, you know? Um, so in a way, those types of decisions to leave things where you have so much identity wrapped up in them and your social situation is often very wrapped up in them and your personal identity and spiritual identity You've thought about God in a certain way. You've thought about the path in a certain way. To have the courage to say, wow, I think I was wrong. Those have been very pivotal decisions for me in my life that have been scary but so rewarding. You are such a deep thinker, and I love your awareness of, of what we are promised. We actually can't get because we are all seeking, I guess, freedom. But within any institution of teaching, there is structure. And therefore, you have to conform, which goes... Yeah, and I, yeah no, that's right. And, and I think it's also, look, there's nothing wrong with structures. Like, if you want to learn to play guitar, you go to a guitar teacher and you learn the shapes to put your fingers in and you're learning systems and everything. It's the identification with the system when we are no longer thinking for ourselves, but we are thinking within the system. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. that point where we sort of lose our own innate intuitive perspective and we become a voice of the puppeteer in whichever case that may be, whether it's like you're working for a multinational company or you're in a spiritual group or you're part of a schooling system that has a theory on education, you know, and then we become evangelists. <laughs> And I've been very guilty of that. Very guilty oh, in my life. <laughs> me too. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying to see how we we lose our own humanity and our complexity in our mind. You know. So I think what's interesting is that people who, you know, people are good. Like people that fall for these sales pitches. We understand why, because we sense within our hearts there's a promise of liberation and there's a promise of awakening, and we're desperate for someone just to tell us the steps to do it. Um, oh, it's easy. Here's the dummy's guide to enlightenment. Just do this. Just go here once a year. Just do this. Just, you know, whatever they, these things they do are. And the reality is that the path, there's no path at the path. Like, the path is so incredibly personal, and it's it's a battle in which we have to behead ourselves and like like tear down the false messiah and raise the real king to their throne internally. This is a terrifying process. So I understand and have full compassion for why instruction manual would be more appealing than groping around in the utter darkness. Um, for the light, 
but nonetheless, that's what you have to do. So what are we going to do? Do we want to live in a fantasy or do we want to actually do the path? Mm, and that's the choice, isn't it? And I find that people will go on the path, myself included. You go on the path and you kind of go into the darkness and come out with the gifts and have some clarity and live comfortably for a while and then we're back on the dark again and doing the layer, 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 layer thing. But I want to know, you have seem to have an incredible commitment to love, to love of everybody regardless of whether they're the guru that's telling you you got to do it this way or the guitar teacher that's saying this is how you play a guitar and you must not play it any other way. You kind of get that as well, which is it, it's a very deep level of compassion and understanding of other people's structure that they are living in. Well, trust me, I have my moments, you know, but at the end of the day, once you actually comprehend something, then you can be compassionate. It's only when you are confused, and there's many things I'm confused about, so I'm not compassionate to them. But once you are clear, like I heard it was very beautiful. You know, I've loved following what's happening at Standing Rock. I found it to be very moving, and I really hope that something similar happens in Australia with the coal mines um, and the Indigenous. There could be action to protect and honour uh, the Indigenous people of Australia. But one of the things that was so interesting was to hear the uh, Sioux tribe members talking about their prayers for the oil company people and saying that these are good people. They're people with families. They're people who are doing what they think is right. They just, they, they don't know. And there was no anger. It was like children who, they just don't get it yet. But let's show them. Let's very slowly and intentionally continue to stand here, stand for what we believe, and demonstrate the value of our beliefs. And really, I think this is really important today when there's a lot of problems in the world, that if you're really hopped up and angry, you can't really be a solution provider. Like, when I look at what I can possibly contribute through music or talking to people, or I really think possibly my best contribution might be I can help cultivate an atmosphere where solutions may become apparent. Not, not, I'm not going to have them. I guarantee it's, not, it's probably not even going to be my generation, but I look at my daughter's generation, and if I can help foster an atmosphere where we're happy, but we're not in denial of there are serious problems, from there you can actually solve some problems. In any situation of conflict, I always set my intent for the outcome to be for everybody's highest good that is involved. So I really enjoyed and appreciated hearing Ben's example of the Indigenous leaders at Solid Rock, including in their prayer, their compassion and understanding for the men that are perceived or the people that are perceived to be on an opposing side. Ben is clearly raising a very conscious child with his deep thinking and wonderful way of looking at the world. So I asked Ben, what is the most important thing you are teaching your beautiful seven-year-old daughter? You know, it's funny because I think we learn so much more by example than we do from the words our parents say. I think there are some moments where what they say matters, but honestly, I'm trying to, everything I'm working on myself, I consider also hopefully a teaching for her, a good example. So... I view having 
clarity over my mistakes, very important, and acknowledging them and rectifying them as almost the key. They're like the fundamental cornerstones of the spiritual path. Like without getting too esoteric about it and Vishnu and Krishna, like you can get into all these like mythology and everything. If you are capable of sitting and pausing and reflecting on where you've made errors and then carving out a way of not repeating them or fixing them, sometimes it's possible, sometimes you just have to bear the karma and not do it again. <laughs> but if you're, if you're capable of doing that, that is the essence of the spiritual path. Yes. It's, so really that's sort of what I'm focused on. Self-ownership, I think, is such a big thing. And, in fact, that will be the very first thing that I often try to help people is to acknowledge that everything that's happening to them is actually about them. And that's a very powerful moment when you realise that you've been the creator of everything that's happened in your life, the good, the bad and the ugly. And so while it can put people into fear of, oh, my gosh, did I really bring upon this illness or this financial trauma or these relationship destructions, but once people move through that, they then really are in a position of creating infinite possibilities. And the other thing is whether or not someone believes they've been a participant in the creation of it, they're certainly a participant in their response to it. Um, and that is something that I think everyone can grasp, that even if you are a total victim and the house collapsed on you and it's got nothing to do with you, what you do from this moment on, how you respond, is going to shape the next 10 years of your life. Mm. So taking ownership of that is a good thing. Now, I have to ask about another side interest that you have and passion, being a death doula. Mm. Now, I have to admit that I had not heard that term before, and I'm fascinated to know how you got into that. Well, I was very involved with um, ayahuasca, which is a... Uh, sort of um, hallucinogenic medicine, I suppose. And it was, it was very, it was opportunities to both practice, kind of like Tibetan Book of the Dead, practice dying and also assist others psychologically, I should say, um, in dying, in letting go of your concept of reality and in moving into an unknown other um, construct or amplified state. So what I began to see was that there was a fundamental way we could support each other and possibly the only way we could support each other is by not interfering but actually creating space for each other to be in a deeply intimate personal process, right? So like if you walk into a room and someone's meditating and you think, how can I be of support to that? How do you do it? Stay quiet. Shut up. <laughs> that will probably be the best support you can be. So I began to recognize that, like, there was very little you can do for people that are in a profound process with their own inner being. But the way that you hold space for them can be very important and very moving. And I just, I connected this to, like, dying, really. It's like, because all of these transitions and, transformations that we go through, they're all little micro-deaths. Um, and I became interested in learning how do people support the dying? Uh, how does What are the skills around that? 
And so I, I studied uh, to become a deaf midwife. I did some hospice volunteering and various things. It's not a profession I do. It's something I've learned, and I try and bring it into everything I'm doing. I always say, like, when I'm performing on a stage, I'm just performing for a few hundred dying people. <laughs> well, we're all dying from the day we're born, exactly. aren't we? <laughs> exactly. So my goal is to apply the tools of creating holding space for my audience to have a private experience that's just between them and their heart. And I don't want to interfere in it too much. I'll be light and entertaining. I'll sing you some songs. But really, I'm just holding space for you to have a private experience. And so that that's really what it's all come down to for me. It's, it's remarkably simple, yet there are, it, it's sort of not a space that's widely discussed in a way. No. Am I right in interpreting that you've used your wisdom to be able to hold the space for any individual to be able to go into whatever emotional state they are needing to go into? And this is a safe space for me to hold for you. Yeah, I mean, look, like within, you know, take, for example, at a musical performance, within reason, like it's okay for you to go into whatever space you need to get to, but if you start interfering with the guy standing next to you, uh, I, I don't really like that. I think we should have personal responsibility. But I think at a deeper level, emotionally, any of us, our ability to be of service is totally dependent on our ability to tolerate the anxiety of other people going through difficult things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's like if I have a friend go through a breakup, I'm not, if I'm super threatened by that and insecure about my own marriage, I'm not going to be able to handle that exchange. So for me, a lot of the process of that death midwifery and learning conscious dying and all those processes we did was really just about being able to handle the anxiety of other people going through big things. Mm. And it is such a gift when we are in trauma ourselves to have somebody that does just hold the space, that they're not trying to fix it, they're not trying to stop you from feeling whatever it is you're feeling. They just hold the space is a real gift. And we so much are in the controlling of, I can fix this, I can do this, listen to me, do that, say this. And yet to sit quietly with somebody's emotion is such a gift. Well, that's kind of where you move into like what I see ultimately is the problem with like the gurus and the teachers and all these people is that they're all telling you how you should be doing the path as opposed to actually trusting that we each have a spark of God within us and a good teacher will get out of the way so your heart can speak to you mm-hmm. because there's a much better teacher within you and that's really the one we should be guiding our attention towards. We continue the conversation turning to music now and Ben's latest album, Freedom, Love and the Recuperation of the Human Mind. How's that for a cool title? Well, yeah, for me it's really about being a person who's interested in the spiritual path and understanding myself and learning and deepening my experience of being a human being but within everyday life, being a regular guy, having kids, having a mortgage, having a job. Um, I think the image we have of spirituality as something that sits outside of regular life is damaging in a way because it stops us dealing with 
what is actually in our path because we hold this ideal of, oh, well, not until I can sit on a mountain and I'm not interrupted in the ashram or here or there. And, and the reality is that the challenges that arise in our lives are the place where we learn and where we grow. So the album's really about that. It's a very, it's an acoustic record. It's quite folky and quiet and it's, uh, but it's intense. Bits that I've heard, I have felt in its, you might say, simplicity of not having all of the different instruments all happening. It just spoke so powerfully. It's very dynamic. Thank you. Well, I'm just trying, you know, I think as you go on in life as an artist, you increasingly often get interested in stripping things back and finding what are the vital elements to create the effect that you want to have. And it's really, uh, yeah, I'm proud of the record. It's, it's, It's a record that I think at the end of the day, something that has just landed for me more and more of these is I am a guy with a guitar and I sing songs and keeping it really simple in that the craft you can develop within that limited construct is quite infinite. There's a lot of room to do things and explore and refine. So I, I like the simplicity and that I find that it is infinite new combinations always of things that I can explore. I particularly felt that it really made the lyrics be the showpiece, you know, mm. the beautiful words, which, of course, freedom, love, and the recuperation of the human mind is the lyrics are so relevant to all of us who are into self-exploration and and being the best versions of ourselves. Now, I have to ask quickly, though, how hard is it in a commercial arena to be sharing your passion for self-development or spirituality or connection with love is that something that people in your industry would roll their eyes at well you got to remember there are multiple games being played at once and if you're thinking in a short-term sense then yes there are things that don't fit in about the way I, what my interests are, how I express myself. But in the long game approach, where I picture myself hopefully making my best work in my 80s. I love that. I'm 40, at least 40 years away from that period. um, We don't know where culture is going to go. And I really believe the best chance you have is by carving out a very unique space that is yours and refine it and refine it and get better over the years. And sooner or later, culture will come to you, you know? So I don't look at it as a problem that at this point I'm singing some things that fall outside of mainstream concerns, because honestly, if they didn't, why would there be a need for the albums? Uh, Art is the way that the artist shares a unique perspective with us. Right? So, so, yeah, I do see that, that in some ways it's a little different, but in the long term it's better to be different and to be doing your own thing and see what happens. Beautifully said. Thank you. I had to ask the question because many of our listeners are taking their own versions of being bold in their beliefs or their uh, methods or their philosophies or their practices, and it's always encouraging when they are role-modelled that on a much larger platform. Well, it's kind of like like anything in business that 
often companies make a mistake by trying to be like every other company. And there ends up being nothing that can differentiate them. A company that's unique and actually has a vision, while they may only get a, a niche part of the market, those customers will be incredibly loyal. Yeah. And I think it's really like it, it, accentuating what makes you different and unique and interesting is actually your best chance at success, I think, you know. Yeah, good advice. Leads me to another part of your multifaceted of of different projects that you have. You and your beautiful wife have an essential oils product line, I believe. Yeah, well, we work with doTERRA, which is, you know, kind of the gold standard of essential oils for people that don't know anything about oils. I didn't. I was very much a guy and thought they were just something <laughs> women put in their baths to make them smell nice. Um, but it's been an amazing thing for us. You know, I've sort of thought about it in the sense that in the arts, we now live in a time where collaboration with corporations is, it's very standard, whether it's T-Mobile presenting a concert or vodka company presenting this or that. And mostly these are collaborations which are, there's no sort of moral alignment with the product or anything at all. Um, and so I started really thinking about um, taking the bull by the horns and entering into some of these relationships or collaborations in a business way, you know, with corporations that I was actually aligned with. Like I started to work with, wanted to work with brands that I thought had integrity. And for me, it's been a really fun thing, this whole journey with essential oils, because it, obviously we have the side where we're serving customers and opening people up to using natural solutions in their families and on their own. That's incredibly fulfilling, but also the side in mentoring and supporting entrepreneurial people and um, bringing a lot of the tools that I've developed and my wife has developed over the years of just how to be supportive. And all of it feels quite subversive in a sense that I think for artists, this is sort of a little bit uncharted territory, it's seen okay as like, yeah, just take a check from whoever writes you the biggest one and hawk whatever they're asking you to. But as far as getting really hands-on and involved in building a business, it's still, you know, I came in at a time where artists, that was all very uncool, you know, to actually even understand money and understand business. But I see it as hugely creative, working on the exact same principles, value given, value received, and that for us, doing it in integrity with a company and with products that we really do believe in, and I really do believe in the shift towards natural solutions, it's all in alignment. So it's, it's been a great, great journey. Beautifully in alignment. So can um, can our listeners purchase your products? Yeah. So we're on we're on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash Skyly Oils, S-K-Y-E-L-E-E Oils. Also on Instagram, Skyly Oils, or they can even email us at skylyoils at gmail.com. So S-K-Y-E-L-E-E Oils. And um, and then we can send them, you know, find out a little bit about what they're interested in, if they have any particular health priorities they're working on, and how oils can support them in that. And then if also for anyone who's interested in kind of the business model and how we're working and might want to enter into this type of venture or collaboration with us, we can answer questions about that too. Perhaps I'll have to ask your beautiful wife, Sky, if uh, we can have a bit of her time another day and do an episode around Absolutely. the healing powers of essential oils. 
she's tugging our daughter in, so she's... Oh, beautiful. I would do that another time. That would be lovely. Look, I'm so grateful for your wisdom. I find you to be such an incredible role model on so many deep levels. And one of the things I'm passionate about is finding great role models of of men and also of women of being beautifully balanced in masculinity, femininity, head to heart, heart to head. And I applaud you because I I really feel you are all that and so much more. But I wanted to ask... You are most welcome. I wanted to ask uh, if you have a few final words. You know, what is it that you really would most want the world to know? Well, I touched on this earlier in our interview, and I really do believe that while I don't personally have the answers for how we're going to get out of this situation that we find ourselves in, I do think collectively we can harness the right atmosphere where those solutions will appear. So I think it's very interesting with activists and people that are passionate about the environment, there's often a lot of anger and resentment and a lot of wounding that's occurred. And I think it's really important that we mature beyond this adolescent phase of activism and we begin to have a maturity in the way that we contribute. You know, so so I, I suppose my invitation is to truly begin to be problem solvers together, you know, and I think from a space of happiness and enthusiasm and equilibrium, together we can really develop some new insights and some inspiration that can move us to a new place. Ben's invitation clearly is for each of us to be committed to striving to create an atmosphere for solution by becoming problem solvers. And by creating this atmosphere, we allow others to likewise become solution providers. I take from this compassion, empathy, understanding, and a commitment to a maturity in our activism. I hope that you too rise to his invitation and together with me help us to create an atmosphere where real solutions can be created. Ben Lee has his wonderful album, Freedom Love and the Recuperation of the Human Mind, available now for downloading and purchasing. You can also get to his essential oils with his wife, Sky at Sky Lee Oils on Facebook or on Instagram. I really hope that you've enjoyed his beautiful words as much as I enjoyed having the privilege of speaking with him and asking him these questions. If you wish to reach out to me, you can do so by heading to lovelifeshow.com or you can visit my personal website, which is janedonovan.com.au. I love hearing from you. And until next week, I hope you have a divine week spending your time committing to creating an atmosphere for solution. Life is perfect. I'm not trying. It's just happening. It's a beautiful day.